Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. It is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2017. What have you been into this week? Well, I have been reading, I said last time I'm reading Ender in Exile, my last Orson Scott Card book. Uh, I said I was going to quit if I didn't get into it, but I've actually been, it's been been keeping my interest. So I'm like... (laughs) A little over a third of the way through. It's going by pretty quick. If, if I look down at that percentage in my Kindle and it's all like 4%, I'd be like, uh-uh, we're done. But when I saw 40, I was like, all right, I can I can stick with this. So you're 40% through this book. How many more books in this series do you have to get through? This is the last one. Okay. Um, I mean, there's technically two prequel trilogies that he co-wrote with some other author, author, but I'm just like, why do we need to do that? It's, I mean, you hate prequels a lot. I'm a little softer on them, but I've just three two trilogies of prequels about things that are pretty much been described you know in the book just seems unnecessary so and doesn't really seem like crucial to kind of the academic view of this series for lack of a better term there is mm-hmm. a book on the horizon which apparently will link up the two divergent storylines again which i'd be curious just to see what he does with it from a pure plot perspective because um, we're talking about thousands of years of like time dilation and things going by, and I'd be just curious to see how they end up packed next to each other. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so I mean, it, this is a weird one because the end of Ender's Game, it kind of has this weird epilogue where it's like, okay, and then all that stuff happened, and then he goes here, and then he does this, and he does this, and he goes here, and he ends up here, and then the next book takes place, you know, for the main character twenty years later, but for us three thousand years later, hmm. and it's just kind of like an awkward situation. And so basically this book is taking that three page epilogue where you described a bunch of crazy things that happen and then actually like showing you. So it's kind of interesting, but I don't know. It's fine. I'm, I'm getting there. I'll be done soon. And then we'll see what I want to next. But that's what I've been reading. And over the weekend, as many people who are nerds did, I binge watch Defenders. And what did you think? Uh, You know, like all the Netflix Marvel shows, there were you know, weaknesses and problems. Uh, some of the ones that have been reoccurring were the same, which is annoying. But some of the ones I thought that, I don't know, th- this seems a little divisive. I've seen some people really rave about it. I've seen some people kind of do the same. The pacing was bad and this was bad. And But I don't know. I just, I really liked it, actually. There are some things I would have done differently for sure. And uh, there's still some weaknesses that are almost kind of come with territory. Like Finn Jones's Danny Rand is just not a particularly compelling interpretation of that character uh the nice thing is that the characters in the show beside him also think that because <laughs> they're just like who the hell are you and why do we keep saying these things you know you, you can imagine jessica jones when he's like i'm the immortal iron fist the protector of kunlun you know the and she's just like what the hell are you talking about like <laughs> shut up <laughs> and you've got luke cage calling him out on his privilege and things like that so it's like it's good but um the biggest the biggest misstep for me was once again just like the end of the second season of Daredevil the plot sort of gets like ambiguous like wait what what are they trying to do exactly why do we care i mean we know they're bad guys so they got to be stopped which is why you know i don't care too much but especially when it, you know cuz they involve obviously you saw in the trailers that Electra is brought back as a servant of the hand um kind of the the puppet of Sigourney Weaver's character Alexandra who's awesome. Um, but it's still sort of like, I'm not really sure what the end goals are here and what everyone is doing. But yeah, for a superhero show, not, you know, something bad will happen. We want we want to see the heroes defeat them. So I'm not too worried about that. 
what what they did do well, which is in stark comparison to a certain fantasy television show on HBO right now, <laughs> they spend you know basically four episodes going before they actually get the team together because it like it makes sense. So like the way all four characters get to where they end up in the same room together is kind of like oh okay this makes you know everyone had their little trajectory and they all end up here and it all makes sense. Uh, everyone gets their moments. They do a lot of cool stuff with the camera and the lighting. You know, all, all the different, you kind of get the styles of all four TV shows hmm. in one, uh, mostly with color. You know, like when Luke's, when it's Luke Cage's scenes, it's, you know, it's all yellows and oranges and kind of brighter. And then when it's Jessica Jones, it's purples and blues and darker. And Daredevil, it's just red and lots of red. <laughs> I mean, sometimes a little bit heavy handed, but I don't know. I enjoyed it. So question for me and for other folks who maybe didn't watch Iron Fist. <laughs> um, can someone jump into this having not seen Iron Fist? So I got asked this question by a dear friend of mine yesterday, two days ago. And I just said, unfortunately, this, out of all the shows, it has the most to do with Iron Fist. Oh, no. Because, you know, there's characters that come over and basically just picks up the plot of the hand right from there. I mean, still some stuff from Daredevil season two as well, but... At bare minimum, you're going to have to read a spoiler or read a summary, I should say, of right. Iron Fist. I think you'll miss out on some of you know, like the, the nuance, if there is such a thing, of like some of the characters that come over and some of the relationships, especially when it involves not so much Danny, but Colleen, uh, his partner in crime who uses a sword. I forget what her character's name is in uh, the comics, but and some of the members of the hand that are kind of prevalent, but like Madame Gal and another character called Bakudo. So, but they, you know, they kind of get you up to speed, I guess. Just know, you kind of have to know who Danny Rand is and a little bit of what happened in that season. And I think you'll be okay. So I would recommend if you had the, you know, hours and hours to sit down and watch through Iron Fist, I would just do it. But if you don't want to do that, I think it's don't not watch Defenders <laughs> because you haven't watched Iron Fist. Just go read a summary and then watch Defenders. Gotcha. So I, I, I'm eager to see, you know, we're going to, we're getting more seasons of all these shows. Uh, including Punisher, uh, who does not show up, by the way. Um, but there's a trailer at the end after credits, mm -hmm. so stick around for that. That looks like a Punisher show, <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah. Uh, uh. So, yeah, I mean, I, we'll see what happens. I, I think that I hope that they can maybe take this time to take a breath and reevaluate some of their decision making when it comes to Netflix show, because we're seeing some of the same complaints over and over again. And maybe we can take some time to reevaluate and fix some of those to move forward. All right. Well, when we were planning this episode, you know, last week and the week before, we kind of struggled with the news section of episodes because it's just, it's the middle of the summer and all of the big movies are out. So, you know, the movie studios aren't announcing a whole bunch of things because they don't want to distract you from buying your tickets to the big movies that are currently in theaters. And it's just kind of a lull in everybody's life and there's just nothing been happening so we've really been grappling with this and we're like ah eh, we could probably throw some things together for this one so we don't talk just you know have our game of thrones podcast for another week and um man right up until this afternoon i had literally one point of news and then some things kind of exploded in a weird way like even up to the point like just an hour or two before we started recording this um so I guess we'll start with the small news, which is about the Hellboy movie, um, The Rise of the Blood Queen, 
another another casting announcement. They've cast Ed Screen. Is that Scrine? Maybe is his last name. He was the kind of the main villain in Daredevil. Um, Ajax, I think he was in Daredevil. Um, he's been cast as Captain Ben Daimyo in the Hellboy movie. Now, I'm I'm very happy to see this character because you know he he started out in the BPRD books. Um, kind of after Hellboy and the BPRD split ways and BPRD kind of became their own comics. And he's a really fascinating character in those comic books. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to see him in and I'm happy to see that potentially that kind of version of the BPRD um, showing up in the Hellboy movie. The, that's the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. And in the first Hellboy movies, they were really seen as more of almost like a kind of an X-Files type organization. Whereas in the comics – especially the BPRD comics, they're much more almost military. And that makes sense because he's a military character. But, and of course, there's a but here, is that that character is notably Japanese-American. And Ed Skrine is not. Now, now there's one, there's a problem of just the general whitewashing problem of that's a job that very well could have gone to an Asian American actor and it did not. Um, and there's also, I feel like it does kind of cheapen the character in a way because in the comics he is, he's notably Japanese American and he's also older. He's an experienced um, kind of steady, you know, veteran soldier type uh, character. And he kind of, in some ways acts a little bit like a father figure to some of the other characters on the team, but he's older. He's, there's some mystery around him that pays off in a really cool way, but it seems like not only have they taken away the Asian American heritage, which I also think is good because he's, he's a high ranking military officer and competent. And, you know, this would be a great role in terms of representation for Asian American actors, but also casting this particular actor, young, you know, super fit, kind of like, he reminds me a lot of the flag character in Suicide Squad, Mm. like kind of hard charging young Marine, which I'm like, I've seen that character in so many other movies. I would much rather have, you know, Captain Daimyo as written in the comics rather than just what looks like a generic dude, you know, generic, like army guy could be real good with guns and kind of, you know, uh, real aggressive and intimidating. That's just not, that's Hellboy has deeper characters, more interesting characters than that. And, you know, I don't want to necessarily say this guy can't do that, that he can't bring interesting things to the role, but this does not bode well. And also, you guys know better about this whitewashing stuff. You know better now. We've been over this. It's just a weird choice. I mean, it, it, I don't know what could possibly, you know, it's one thing when you're talking about something like Iron Fist where like, you know, the character was white blonde guy. So you can't really say it's whitewashing, right? You know what I mean? Like things like talking about, and then you even have more complicated in Doctor Strange with Ancient One. There's some stereotypes and some Orientalism there. It's a little bit weird. So Maybe some of those, you know, damned if you, damned if you don't kind of things. But this situation is like, why? Like, why would you change that? Why, what would, right. you know, I don't know. It's, it's weird. And it's not even one of those things where, like, they're scared of offending the worst kind of people with making a previously white character something else. Because uh, it's the opposite of that, which is even worse. So, yeah, I don't. That's just and, really strange. And it's not even. Now, again, I don't. This is an argument that I ascribe to. But the argument that, like, well, 
we had to put Scarlett Johansson in Ghost in the Shell because otherwise no one would go see it, right? We we need to cast a, you know, conventionally attractive white woman in the lead role because now people are going to see this movie. Now, I don't necessarily ascribe to that argument, but like... And it didn't work it, out. <laughs> yeah, well, but at least there's a logic to it. Of right. You, you want a marquee name to sell your picture, but Ed Skrine isn't of our key name. It's not like they came in and said, oh, they cast Mel Gibson in this role. I'm like, all right, well, at least I can understand there's at least a financial logic to it. It's still a bad idea, but at least this, I don't, I just don't get it. And it honestly, um, I was, this, this has ratcheted down my excitement about this movie a, a fair amount. That's a shame. Did you, two other Hellboy related pieces um, I saw today, just, did you see that they say it's not going to be an origin story and that it opens with a very quote unquote Raiders of the Lost Ark sort of, style opening where you're just like here's hellboy here's what he's up to i didn't see that but that sounds great uh also i know you're into fighting games which i am not but did you see that they're adding hellboy to the injustice 2 game yes so injustice is the um is the dc comics fighting game from the makers of mortal Kombat that as they release dlc characters for the game they start bringing in characters from you know all around the dc universe but also from outside the DC universe. Like at one point they had, I think in the last game, or maybe it's the current game. I, I don't follow it that closely, but like they brought in like Jason from Friday the 13th and the alien from the aliens movies. And it just kind of becomes this like bonkers mishmash, but they had a trailer where they brought in uh Raiden from mortal Kombat, black Manta, you know, everyone's favorite DC villain, but also Hellboy. Now no gameplay. They, they don't show any gameplay, just the character models. Uh, and all right, this is actually kind of exciting because just to see Hellboy show up anywhere is kind of exciting because he's, you know, he's not like a totally like, he's, he's not like Batman where like he is on everything. So like when you see your good buddy Hellboy show up, you're like, yay, there was one thing that was weird where kind of the big action moment in the trailer is I think Black Manta fires like a little rocket at Raiden and then Hellboy like steps out of the shadows, catches the rocket and lights a cigarette with it, which is like, all right, cool, badass. That's some Hellboy shit. But also Hellboy smokes cigars. What is, hmm. <laughs> That's odd. He does smoke cigarettes from time to time too. I'm, but anyway, no, that, that actually looks kind of neat. I, I'm excited to see some gameplay footage. Uh, I, I kind of want to see what, um, you know, what Hellboy looks like in action. And I really hope that his super involves him, like, you know, turning into like, you know, demon form where his horns grow back and fire starts coming out of his mouth and eyes. That'd be pretty neat. Is this the first time he's in a video game or has there been? So there was a Hellboy game on PlayStation one, um, that, uh, I didn't play and I don't think anyone played, but that, yeah. So this is kind of his first real appearance. Cool. So the other big thing that exploded today uh, are some are everyone's favorite DC Murderverse, except not quite. Yeah. Yeah. So so this was the first thing like that that showed up on my newsfeed this morning. And I was when I first saw the headlines, I was like, oh, this is clearly a joke. Like this is one of those like you see a headline and you're like you check the calendar. You're like, this isn't April Fool's Day, right? This is um, Martin Scorsese. As in Oscar-winning American treasure, Martin Scorsese, is producing a Joker origin movie directed by Todd Phillips, you know, the guy from the Hangover movies, that apparently, it's a Joker origin story, that apparently 
intentionally does not tie into the larger DC universe, uh, their, 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 uh, extended universe. They, uh, what they're saying is, and I'm just going to read this quote verbatim from, I think the deadline article that I first saw, this will be the first film under a new banner that has yet to be named in which WB Warner brothers can expand the canon of DC properties and create unique storylines with different actors playing the iconic characters. <laughs> okay. And so, and they made it clear that this, that this Joker is unrelated to any other film version of the Joker. So it's not the origin story of, um, Jared Leto's Joker. It's not the origin of Heath Ledger's Joker. And it's not, I guess, Jack Nicholson's Joker when he was just a normal crime boss in Tim Burton Gotham. Um, what are they doing? What is this? I, I mean, like, if you, if you, like sat me down and said, make the craziest movie idea. I wouldn't ever come anywhere close to this. Like, it's just, I mean, on one hand, this idea of having like a different banner of films that can be made that explore almost, I guess, you know, they, I wouldn't be surprised if they called else worlds or something like that. You know what I mean? Or like, that's cool. Like, it's cool to have, to not be so tied to your shared universe that you can't go off and do something interesting because in my experience, some of the best DC comics, some of the best comics in general are usually Elseworlds or, you know, not in this universe kind of thing. Um, Martin Scorsese? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, no. So Scorsese is producing. So and when and and producer is a very, very, very vague credit. That could mean everything from, you know, almost like a head writer um, directing the director kind of role or it could just mean like yeah i invested some money in this because i think is i think i think there's money to be made um it, it's really unclear they are trying to trade on scorsese's name though and they say that the the 1980s gotham that this is going to take place in is going to be very similar to the um new york city that scorsese portrayed in you know his early work like taxi driver so they're clearly trying to like you know, make it seem like he's got a lot of creative hand in this. But I also can't imagine Martin Scorsese signing up to be like, yeah, let me make a movie about the Joker. Like that just, I don't. Mm. I can't imagine that pitch. Like the guy says, all right, you know, director Scorsese, like let's, uh, we have an idea for you. What do you, how do you feel about the Joker? And he'd be like, the what? <laughs> the who? Like, I, and then the craziest thing that I think makes this, this announcement alone is crazy, but then immediately after this, Matt Reeves yeah, has yeah, come yeah. out and said well, let's, that, let's, yeah. <laughs> that like, as part of this whole thing is that, oh yeah, my movie's also not part of the extended universe. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> Which is extra weird because, so at first you're like, all right, so they're just going to start doing like a couple little one-off movies that they say are unrelated, that don't tie in. I'm like, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm like, yeah, that's actually kind of what I want. You know, I, I would like, I'm fine to just see like, we just made an Aquaman movie that's about how weird Aquaman is and, and it's just a one-off and it doesn't connect anything and it's just, this is a movie that is what it is. Or knowing that, you know, none of these movies have no connections, which means there's no strings attached. So, you know, it's like we made a, we made a Flash movie and the Flash might die in it because he doesn't need to be in six other movies because this is self-contained. I'm like, I kind of like that idea. Um, but then... Just this afternoon, Matt Reeves, who's directing the Batman, which is the the one that we all thought was tying into the Ben Affleck Batman line, 
is not part of the extended universe. And does that mean, but if all this talk was about how we can use different actors and does that mean Ben Affleck is out of this? Or even weirder if he is in it and it's not the same Ben Affleck Batman that, and let me, okay, so this is just so weird. Like part of me is being very cynical and DC's at the point where they're confused on what the hell they're doing and they're just throwing stuff out there and seeing what sticks and then they'll use that as their, you know, jumping off point. Because making a Joker movie or Joker origin story movie that is just a standalone, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like what? Why, why do you want to see the origin of someone? Like, why call it... Like, I could see you making a, a Joker movie, like a, a Joker with Batman movie in a Scorsese style. There's just like a movie that's that's fine. But to call it like an origin story, that implies that there's more stories to come. And that's not doesn't that's not what it seems like it's going to be. So I, I don't know. This is this is not... I did not expect them to uh, do this, but I guess maybe they're really just trying to bail on the murderverse. And I don't know. That's, that's my hypothesis that... All of a sudden that, so I think that, I think this Joker thing, well, they want to make a standalone Joker movie. And I think that they are, I think this is, they are stealthily, like you say, backing away from the murderverse and the mess they've made. And they're trying just to say, you know what, what if we just did standalone things for a while and till the dust settles from the mess we made. And so it seems like that might be what they're doing which I think is as good a strategy as any to wash their hands of this last messy business and hope that maybe they can salvage Wonder Woman because they know that was basically the only bright light in any of this. But it just seems, <laughs> yeah, like, so now are they, is, is this, is, does this mean that Ben Affleck is out? And by the way, his brother Casey Affleck was doing an, an interview recently and said, he basically said, oh, yeah, no, he's not doing that, like, in reference to the Batman. Like, Casey Affleck basically said um, that Ben Affleck was not going to be in that Batman movie after all, but then kind of realized what he was saying and then kind of, like, tried to hedge it a little bit, like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking out loud or whatever. But it was pretty clear that it sounds like maybe there were some <laughs> conversations around the Affleck family Fourth of July party and <laughs> Casey let something slip. Yeah. but. Yeah, I think they might be trying to trying to soften up the the moment where they say Ben Affleck is, and I think they're going to wait till after Justice League comes out. They're going to try to keep this under wraps until Justice League comes out because the thought would be um, if we already say we there's going to be a new Batman and we've already cast him, which you know they have. Um, they're worried that's going to dampen interest in seeing Ben Affleck be Batman in Justice League. And the the perceived value of watching the whole franchise and seeing all the things, people aren't going to be as interested. They're not going to be as compelled to watch all the movies. So they're probably trying to keep it under wraps until then, at which point they're going to be like, oh, we're no, no, no. There's we still got our extended universe for all you kids to watch all of it and, you know, give us all your money for the movie you don't want to see. But then we're also going to make these other movies, which are probably the movies we really want to make and should be making. But um, and then the the extended universe is going to slowly fade out, which is fine by me because it's so bad. Well, and I mean, this was just like one of those, you know, sources say kind of Internet rumors. But it was reported, I don't know, like a week or two ago that like before the reshoots, Justice League was essentially unwatchable. It I would not like be surprised. Com- a complete garbled mess. And I wonder if, 
you know, since we're talking about this new banner, I wonder if they're going to try. I mean, maybe they should just double down on the multiverse and just be like with Flashpoint coming, just have that be the trigger. So I think that that comes out before these movies will come out. Would have to, yeah. Ha have that be the trigger that sort of, and then you start, then you actually just start branding shit. Just throw Earth numbers on stuff and be like, oh yeah, the Scorsese Joker universe, that's Earth 2. And then if they decide they want to, if that does well, they can keep making Earth 2 branded DC movies. And if it doesn't do well, well, <laughs> then they just fuck off and do something else and go to Earth 668. Yeah. And like, maybe that's the way to go. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be different. It'd be, it'd be a counterpoint to Marvel that's not their current attempt at aping them, right? Yeah, and uh, how I, I just honestly, I have no interest in seeing a Joker origin story. No, no. I mean, I don't think that character is compelling without Batman. And even then, the Joker, Heath Ledger made the Joker compelling. And there have been a couple great Batman writers who have made the Joker compelling. But he's a murder clown. I mean, he's not that great of a character. And having the Joker's origin be kind of murky and confused has been kind of a hallmark of the character. So really nailing it down in kind of a gritty 1980s crime story isn't all that exciting to me. And the Joker is interesting when he's the Joker, not when he's some pre-Joker version of himself. Like, I don't want to watch that guy for the first two acts of the movie, waiting for him to become cool and become the Joker. Uh, that just... I, I want to see the Joker's like... I want to see him being like the Joker in his full, you know, full glory. Like we've seen him before where he's doing cool shit and having like crazy prank crimes instead of like, no, oh, I'm just a little two bit hood. And then I fell in some chemicals or whatever. Uh, yeah, I just, ah, who, well, who asked is, for this? This is the opportunity, Greg, for your pitch. You've been talking about having a, you know, realistic 1980s Gotham from the perspective of the Gotham police force where they're in the middle of a, you know, a run of Joker v. Batman stuff. So both characters are sort of like, you know, maybe the first time. And, but it's from, you know, Commissioner Gordon, or, you know, Commissioner Gordon, whoever's perspective. And that would, that would be cool to see, you know, seeing realistic cops be like, are these exploding wind up chatter teeth things? Like, what the hell? And like, and then Batman swoops down and you're like, who the hell is this guy? I mean, you know, I just think that would be a much more compelling story than, like you said, like, the Joker is one of those villains who, the minute you give him an origin, diminishes the character. Yeah. And, and like you said, which is already a fairly thin character, despite, you know, some people's obsession with him since Heath Ledger. But, like, he's not, like, what... Yeah, I'm... And, and if he's, a if he's like, a perspective character, then you're even more diminishing of, like... Because the thing that's crazy about Joker, he just shows up and does crazy shit, and then he leaves, and you're like, what the hell? But if you're seeing his actions the whole time, then it's not... It's just not interesting. Yeah, I I mean, so there are certain villains who you kind of want to see the turn or you want to see their life before they were a villain. I think Anakin Skywalker is a great example of that. The, the Anakin Skywalker we got was bad, but the idea that before he was Darth Vader, he was a hero and he was a good man and he was Obi-Wan Kenobi's friend. Like, you feel like there is a cool life to, to that character before he came Darth Vader, and I'm interested to see that. Whereas the Joker, I'm like, no, I mean, if anything, he was a much more boring, boring person before he became the Joker, when he's now interesting and unpredictable, and uh, no. And even the best, you know, um, Joker origin stories I'm thinking of, Killing Joke, 
for example, um, as one potential origin for the Joker, like those are best told on a page and then get out of the way and let the Joker do what the Joker does instead of spending the first two acts of your movie with just some boring hoodlum who like has a twisted sense of humor. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe, maybe they'll really go crazy and commit to like the strange things they're doing in the current like Canon DC runs that there's like actually been three jokers all along or something ridiculous. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, (laughs) that's what they've tried to, that's, that's what they've tried to do. That that's one of the reasons he's, his character has changed so many times over the years is that it's actually been three different people, which whatever DC, I, you know what, in a year you're going to hit a reset button and it's all going to be thrown out the window again. Anyway, I don't, I don't care. But although the one thing that I think is maybe a little bit interesting is, so this is set in the eighties and I know they're not going to connect it to other things, but that begs the question of, you know, the Joker's age has never been totally clear, but let's say this takes place in the 80s, means that the Joker was bored in the 60s, which means the Joker is in his 50s or 60s now. And that's kind of interesting to imagine the Joker as an older man, and because he's always been kind of ageless, but, you know, what is a Joker who's been at this for 40 years like? You know, because you get the impression, like, even the Heath Ledger Joker, you're like, oh, that guy's like 30. How long could he possibly have been doing this Joker stuff? Um, actually, that would be kind of neat to see that version of the Joker rather than, you know, another Jared Leto, like, you know, late 20s, you know, super chiseled, uh, high energy, aggressive, like, what's a Joker who's a little bit more tired and paunchy? Like, I would like <laughs> to see that. Hell, just bring back Jack Nicholson, have him play the Joker. Yeah, eh, wouldn't be too bad. Apparently, actually, there's in one of the um, DC events that's going on now, they're showing an alternate universe where the Joker is the hero and the and Batman is the villain on this particular version of Earth. And uh, the Joker's, you know, real name is Jack Napier in that version. And that's a pretty good shout out to the Tim Burton Batman. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, I guess I mean, this is all just some crazy stuff so i mean i'm really curious to see what other i'm wondering if like you said if maybe right now or maybe immediately post the justice league you know wave that if we'll see some more kind of universe shaking announcements (laughs) i think i think we're on the verge of something this has this has the feeling that we are you know how, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure you don't follow celebrity gossip. I don't either. But usually right before there's a big, there's a big breakup, all of a sudden the couple starts talking about how, how much they love each other and how stable their relationship is and how great everything is. And then like two weeks later, they're filing for divorce. Like this kind of feels like the early rumblings of we're not even going to put Justice League out. Just forget about it. Bye. <laughs> like something is about to burn the fuck down over there. And I can't wait to see it because those people get what they deserve. They made a bunch of bad movies. Um, yeah. Yes. So that about does it for news. <laughs> Should we talk a little bit about Game of Thrones? If we have to. We have to. <laughs> we have to do this two more times. I know. Well, one more time after this. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, so Game of Thrones, season seven, episode six, uh, Beyond the Wall or whatever. And really, this is the first time we had an episode called Beyond the Wall. I doubt it. But anyway, so modern trail runners, right? Modern people who run over non-paved, you know, non-kind of cross-country trail. We're talking about trail running over mountains and rocks and stuff. So they currently, modern trail runners, 
target an eight to 11 minute uh, per mile pace um, based on what the internet tells me. Um, so let's assume that that's modern people with modern shoes in favorable conditions. Let's say you've got non-modern shoes, which uh, watching that episode, they look like just fucking burlap sacks wrapped around people's feet um, over winter terrain. Um, I'm going to say Gendry's doing at best on the low end of that, maybe eight miles an hour. Um, maybe, but you know what? He's also highly motivated. There's an army of ice demons at his back. So let's say he does a 10 minute mile. He runs all night. He can maybe make it to the wall or runs all day, right? It's about midday when they get there. Uh, so that, so maybe he covers like maybe 36, 40 miles in the time between when he leaves the frozen lake and he gets to the wall and then he gets to the wall. And if they send a raven out that freaking hour it has to fly 1400 miles based on my math 1400 miles to dragonstone in about 12 hours and even if it gets there in 12 hours overnight right because we can assume that based on what we saw it looks like they were on that rock in the middle you know, they got there about midday and then they kind of waited it out through the night. And then about midday, the action starts up again, which gives us about 24 hours. So that means that the Raven flies down there in 12 hours and then Daenerys jumps right on Dragon and flies 12 hours back again at more than 100 miles an hour. Ugh, what the fuck are we even doing? I don't know. I mean, there's been some attempts to sort of try and make this work. There was a pretty detailed Reddit post, which we can link in the show notes. Yes. That talks about, you know, four days. Four days makes sense across a number of things. Makes sense for the travel to work out. Uh, makes sense for the ice to freeze. Although I did, I wouldn't make a minor point that the ice freezing could be a bit faster since we've seen the White Walkers kind of make things colder the closer they are to them. So maybe they sure. exploited that process. Maybe. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, it's fine. Let's do that. Show us that. Yeah. So that's that's that that's my point here. And I know we've harped on the on the timing a lot, but even the director in an interview said that like we know it doesn't quite work out. We're hoping you suspend your disbelief. And I get it, but this is supposed to be a realistic show with stakes. And this used to be a show where you know, time and distance mattered. And to switch that on us at the end, it's very, very frustrating. But also, and to your point, like, you guys have control over the show. Like, there are ways to have done this without having it be um, super implausible. Like you said, you could have shown the White Walkers, like, slowly freezing the ice a little bit faster than it freezes at night. Or they could have they could have had something where Daenerys was already up in the north for some reason anyway. So it didn't, you know, she was, you know, taking over the airy or something that, you know, so she didn't have to fly halfway across the map, which again is like flying from, you know, Mexico City up to up to Boston based on, you know, the, the size comparison that George R. R. Martin has given us. Um, they could have had... As somebody else on, on on Facebook suggested that why not have Bran see what's going on with his powers and have him send a raven to Danny. So then at least you don't have to have the the running back and forth and all of that. Like cut a little bit more of that out, or even just show us our heroes stranded on that rock for four days. Like that actually could have added a lot of tension and drama. Like you're seeing them, maybe one of the red shirts starves to death, or maybe even one of your main characters 
dies or they freeze. They start to turn on each other. Like hope is running out. The dead keep moving a little bit more close as the lake freezes a little bit more. And then you at least have a realistic time. And like, is Daenerys coming or not? And then you could have Jon Snow have like some doubt. Like, I thought I could trust her. I thought she was in on this. What's happening? And then just when hope is at its lowest over the horizon comes the dragons. But no, they just keep dicking around with us and insulting our intelligence by having us be like, you know, play this stupid Hollywood trick of, well, you saw it get dark, you saw it get light again, so you don't know what how much time has passed. Ugh. I mean, one line. All you had to have was, you could just have the hound say, we've been here for four fucking days, or something like yes. that. That yes. would be it. And I'd be like, alright, that's that really sucks. That's a really fucking long time. You must be really cold. Like, that one line could accomplish so much. And then, you know, fine. Then we can kind of fill the dots from there. Like, you don't have to explain everything to us. You don't, we're not asking you to show us four days of gendry walking. That's not what we want. But I just want, like, just, we shouldn't have to be doing intensive calculations to try and figure out how stuff's working to make the plot make sense. Yeah, and this is also, again, this plan of Jon Snow's, this stupid idiot plan, like, the writers wrote that plan. Like, why wouldn't they... Why wouldn't you have like, you could at least have like, no, our plan is to actually send the dragons out and we're going to camp the dragons at Castle Black just in case things go bad. Or also, hey, maybe why don't we just use the dragons from the entire, from the start of this? Because they'll probably work real well against the ice zombies and it'll probably be a lot easier for us to isolate one or two to capture if we have the dragons on our side. But like that was never even discussed. Like he's like, I'm going to take a bunch of like commandos and go north of the wall to capture one ice zombie from an army of millions of them. It'll be fine. And Daenerys and all of the smart people around her were like, yeah, sounds good. It's just they, they, they painted themselves into this corner. That they could have so easily have just not, just not done it that way. Just given us a slightly better thing or have the dragons were part of the plan from the, from the get go, but they got waylaid along the way for some reason. Maybe Drogon's shoulder was still fucked up from the, from the arrow shot and they needed to camp out somewhere and then they had to go on ahead. Something like that. You know, they have, they've had episodes and episodes to set this confrontation up and we still get the dumbest, most intellectually insulting setup or a payoff that they could have given us. And like, wait, did you, did you watch like the, after the episode? No, you know? no, no, no. So when you hear the directors or the creators, D and D talking about this, the way they describe it, they're like, well, you know, when we sent them beyond the wall, we, we knew we had to like, what was the only realistic way we could have them like face off against the army of the dead. And that was, we had this idea to have them be in the middle of a lake. And it's just like, that's how you do your writing. Like, that's what the pro like, they sounded like they just like, they wrote themselves into a corner and then said, and that was it. Like, well, we want to go beyond the wall. That's that's done. Like, there's nothing else we can do. So, like, like you said, there's there was no like, let's take a whole a look at the whole picture again and, and restart. I mean, and you guys are asking questions like, well, you, I mean, this is pre knowledge of crazy Night King ice javelin shenanigans. Like, why not just take the dragons up there and just kill them all? Yes. I, I mean, <laughs> or and I was going to deliver this as a punchline at the end of our commentary but now i'm not so <laughs> so we were told and we were confirmed this episode that everyone who dies beyond the wall becomes a white right right That's why they had to burn thorough's body Correct. so when they get attacked by the ice bears which i'll say was a kind of cool scene yes they linger on one of the red shirts bodies that got killed beyond the wall and they're like 
as if there's like, oh, this horrible, oh, God, it's so horrible that one of these nameless oh, wildlings. Oh, God damn it, you're right. And they could have just been like, all right, cool, our job's easier. Pick this guy up and just start walking back to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy shit. I mean, if if that's how it works, maybe that maybe the... Maybe they have some sort of, the White Walkers have some sort of no, power that they can choose. Works. That's how it works. But like, God damn it. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> so like, I mean, I don't know. I just, because I watched it twice. I watched it, I was bad person. And when they said it was leaked, I watched it. Uh, and the quality was not so good the second halfway through. So I decided to watch it again today. And I was just thinking and like writing down some notes and I was just like, holy shit, there's a body right there. Just take it and go back to the yeah, wall. Just hang out. It will turn into a zombie soon. Yeah. Because even back or, in- Or like, just wait, if it doesn't, then you know you have to keep going. Like maybe right. maybe the White Walkers can decide who they turn and they don't turn for some reason. But that's not, we haven't been shown that at all. But, uh, good grief. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So back to the big battle. That was, as you say, completely unnecessary because Jon Snow is a fucking moron. But, and this is, this is to go back to our, um, kind of, kind of the criticism from episode two of characters forgetting about their awesome powers until it's dramatically convenient where, you know, the Lannister army forgot all about their anti-dragon weapon until it was dramatically, you know, it was the most dramatic moment for Bronn to pull out the scorpion and, and shoot Drogon. But so... The Night King has ice javelins and is apparently super handy with them. So much so that he one-shotted Viserion out of the sky. Like, he just, like, put one hand up, tracked it for, like, six degrees of, <laughs> of, of travel, and then just wrecked him. So why didn't he just throw an ice javelin at Jon Snow when Jon Snow was a sitting duck in the middle of the of the lake? It's a good question. I mean, some people are trying to say that we're going to see more about how the Night King has some of sort of Bran's powers to Green Sea, and he, this is all sort of a ploy to get the dragon. And I mean, maybe, but like, show us more. You know, if that's the case, then you got to show us. Right. You can't right. tell us, and you can't let us have to assume that. I mean, there's, I'm not saying that we'd be spoon fed every single plot point, but like, there's a difference between vague assumptions and like in, intended you know, attended assumptions, right? Or attended uh, things that a, a carefully minded person would pick up as they're watching. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening here. And it just seems like the the White Walkers are very, very just, they're a bad army. Like they don't appear to have any ranged strategies beyond their ice javelins. And also, and I'm going to link to this map where before we were, I kind of complained about how far they have come you know, dis how much how much distance they have traveled in the show versus how much uh, other characters have traveled in the show. And there's a map that uh, I can link to. I think it was originally on Reddit, but uh, I saw it on Polygon where they basically somebody actually charted a red line of the trip from Hardhome down south to what we can assume is near the wall in this episode and Jon Snow's journey from Hardhome through like all of the last season and he crisscrossed the continent like three times in the time it took them to go about 200 miles so why are they so bad do they get lost easily do they just walk super slow it's just it's just very they're they don't seem all that scary. And again, now that we know that dragons like totally ruined them 
with the exception of those javelins, like I feel like this should be a pretty easy gig for them. Um, uh, speaking of weapons, and Karen pointed this out as we were watching, like as they're kind of engaging in the big battle, like aren't only special weapons supposed to kill the zombies and the White Walkers? Either either Valyrian steel or dragon glass. Yeah, I mean, I was watching this again today, and I was trying to take a clear note. And it does look as if so. We know the three things kill these things: it's dragon glass, Valyrian steel, and fire. Although did the fire didn't seem to instantly kill the giant polar bear. Um, but if you look closely, it does look like Tormund has an obsidian edged axe. And I mean, I guess they're assuming that maybe with enough blunt force from the hammer that these, you know, some of the more skeletal ones will just kind of crumble. But, and you know, if we've got Jorah, it looks like you said he has uh dragon glass daggers. You got the two flaming swords from Thoros and uh, Beric, and then John's Valyrian steel. And maybe I think that you can see the hound pull out an ax, a hatchet that looks like it's maybe obsidian. Yeah. And the one problem with this though, is it, and they should address this is that the problem with the, and this is something that I know from, it's like important to remember because you've read Mistborn and in Mistborn, mm-hmm. they use obsidian daggers because they can't use metal because it can be affected by their powers. But the thing about obsidian is it's incredibly sharp, but it's very brittle. You can't just like repeatedly use an obsidian axe. Like you probably use it once or twice and it's pretty much broken because it's basically glass. But that's like minor detail. But but I still feel like, you know, it, rather than the, the, the little scene of John having a conversation with Jorah about who should have Longclaw, which John, hey, that's the magic sword that kills White Walkers. Maybe don't just hand it over to a stranger on your way up to fight a bunch of White Walkers. Like, I know you're trying to have a moment with this dude, but you're dumb. But like, rather than have that scene, like have a scene where John's like, all right, here's how we kill these things. And he's like briefing his team on it because also maybe we as the audience might need a little refresher and giving them their special weapons and saying things like, now these weapons are kind of brittle. So you have to save them for the kill shot. You know, you, you know, weaken them with your normal sword and then hit them with the, with the dragon glass or something just so we kind of had a sense of what the stakes were of of the battle but instead it was just we got a battle that was everything that game of thrones is not supposed to be like some people got killed yeah but red shirts which is not the way this is supposed to work like game of thrones is all about like battles have real stakes real characters get killed um the cavalry came twice to save john first daenerys then benjamin stark which again that's not how game of thrones it, battles work because that's not how things always go in real life like the cavalry doesn't always show up at the last minute to save the hero sometimes you know sometimes rob stark gets murdered and i'm not saying that i wanted to see these characters die but it was just such a tonal shift from the show it felt more like a like a marvel movie battle where they're just gunning down cat cannon fodder in you know in time for the you know you know the big bad to come along um and the bad guys also and i'm this actually makes me kind of not terribly interested in the big battles to come, the big epic battles with the the army of the dead, because they're not fun to watch. Like at least the battles where, um, you know, you see the human armies and you, you get the different generals like using different tactics on each other. Like Battle of the Bastards is a great example of you actually saw Ramsey fighting with an incredible like battlefield strategy, and that was part of the fun to watch. 
Whereas now it's just like, oh no, it's just going to be Zerg Rush over and over and over again. It's like, that's kind of boring to watch. And also Game of Thrones is supposed to be more sophisticated than that, but it's like, they just keep, keep come running in. And I don't think that's going to be exciting to watch for an entire season of, you know, our heroes just fighting off waves of grayish skeletons. Yeah. I mean, it was weird because I mean, I, I remember thinking back to hard home and it's like, that episode was terrifying. Like, they were a scary, like, horde of things that just did not stop coming and kill people and were quick. And, yeah, I mean, they're kind of zombies and clumbies, but, like, this whole just, like, let's just shamble up. Where in this scene immediate prior to this, you saw all of them running after them. Yeah. And this scene, they're just like, oh, we're going to, like, walk up slowly and come in. You know, like you said, it was very much like that, the last battle in Age of Ultron where they're sitting around the thing and you know, the Ultron robots are just flying in and trying to fight them one by one. And it's like, that's not, I mean, that works in a comic book movie, but like, it's not what this was and not what this should be. Well, and also, uh, you know, again, if I'm the Night King, my psychic order to all of my zombie troops would be, no, we're just going to stand here until they all freeze to death. Like, even if we could walk across the ice, who gives a shit? Why risk anything? They'll die in a week. We don't need to eat. We don't need to sleep. We're just going to sit here and watch. And then you could have this like, Again, you'd ratchet up the tension of the of the of our heroes on the rock of like we have to make the we have to cut our way out of this somehow, or we freeze to death here because they're just going to let us die. Ugh. There's just so many routes you could have gone, and I just I had to wonder like why you know and like I said in the inside the episode, you just sounds like what we're talking about before. We're like it's TV people just trying to be like what would be an interesting scene, you know what would be a cool action scene. As opposed to what are logical things that our characters would probably try and do. And I'm not saying our characters always have to be smart. Like, John is consistently an idiot. Yes. Yes, he is. And that's fine. Like, that's his character. But, like, there's also a line where it becomes implausible, right? Like, John does things much like his father, father in quotes, uh, you know, did because he's honorable and because he has, you know, a pretty strict sense of good, you know, right, wrong and, you know, kind of lawful kind of guy. But, like. There's there's between be doing that and being just like dumb, you know, and this whole like, why did he keep fighting? You know, and I want rewatching the episode, you know, there was that scene where Barrick sort of says like, oh, if we kill the Night King, we'll kill them all. Which like, do, do you know that's the case? Like, how do you know that? Right. Uh, and then they sort of say instead, they said like, John leaving the dragon, he realized that they weren't going to be able to take off. So he was going to stay so they could get away. So that's and it's like, why? What? But, Are you okay, sure? but even so, like, have him shout that back to da Daenerys. Right. right. Or, I mean, yeah, honestly, so the Night King, so if he's the big, if that's the thing is that now John is laser focused on, on taking out the Night King, which is fine. You know, there's a better way to do this. Uh, yeah, he can throw an ice javelin at one dragon, but if you sick two dragons on him and just focus on him, you win. You will lose yeah, like one other dragon, but you will win. Like he can't throw two at once at two separate dragons, but... Instead, he's just like, ah, oh. and I mean, I like the idea of Jon Snow is an excellent fighter, but a terrible tactician. Like, that's fine. But people should be calling him out on his idiocy. Like, people should, some, you know, Varys or Tyrion should have said, no, Jon, your plan is stupid, just like Sansa basically did. Uh, you know, you know, Daenerys should have been like, no, this sounds like a bad plan. I'm going to fly up there behind them just in case. But... So this is also, interestingly, you know, again, going on the idea that Game of Thrones is a stealth feminist work. This is the third time Jon Snow, our epic hero, has been saved by a woman. Uh, so first Melisandre brought him, 
back from the dead. Secondly, Sansa rescued him at uh, Battle of the Bastards by calling in uh, the armies of the Vale, and now Daenerys coming at the Frozen Lake to uh, save his bacon one more time. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for me, this episode it starts off really strong. It's what I want from Game of Thrones. You know, it's beautiful scenery. It's well-developed characters, you know, interacting with one another in interesting ways, things we haven't seen before, characters interacting we haven't seen, which is what, you know, what I like about Game of Thrones. And, you know, there's some there's some good things here, right? Like, Tormund's a gem. Yeah. He's always a gem, yeah. you know. And Tormund um, plus the Hound, I could watch, I could watch, watch that buddy comedy for a couple yeah, like, seasons. I was willing to forgo some of the idiocy of, like, this plot because, like, this is an interesting group of people that I want to see out on a mission together so i'm willing to you know kind of forgo suspend the disbelief a little bit and go with it but i don't know i'm really getting to the point where like i'm game of thrones has dropped down a tier of show to me Ooh, and easily is now just like uh well i'm gonna watch it for the interesting set pieces and some individually good performances which there are, there are plenty of there's also some very bad ones yes uh one being <laughs> amelia is it amelia or emily i think it's amelia amelia clark she is not a good actress at, <laughs> at least, least not yeah not in this because no. anytime she's supposed to be showing any sort of emotion she's just a blank slate and like i know she she does like the stoic angry thing well but that's all she has and like you know when when she's on the dragon she's just like looks like she doesn't know how to react because i don't know i mean everyone else seems to be able to act around the dragon's fine behind her besides her you know when they're on the boat at the end with you know and they're having her and john are having this tender moment like mm which yeah it's like okay but she just like doesn't do anything <laughs> just sits there and it's like that's not how you act like we're talking about good facial acting and she doesn't have it no which is weird because she has a very expressive face she does but i think that and i know that you know they're trying to build up to an emotional moment where she does um but we really haven't seen any vulnerability from her as a character in a very long time and i think that's what's hurting it is that She's really this kind of one-dimensional kind of, for lack of a better word, ice queen right now. <laughs> um, but I think it's been too long since we've seen any kind of vulnerability. And she's been one-dimensional for a very long time. And that's that boat scene, man, that was, again, like, I George R. R. Martin would not have written that scene where, like, she gets all flustered when she sees his abs. Like, come on. What the f- is this? What the f- what is this? She's all that like some kind of nineties teen drama comedy. Like that's just, that's so cheap and cheesy. Like she's seen hot dudes before. She's well, good. I think it was that he was, she was flustered about all the stab wounds. Yeah. But Wasn't there was also, more, I think, I think it was a little, little bit of both. A, I think it was a little yeah, bit okay. of both. And also, I, could, I mean, maybe I'm being nitpicky, but where does he get off calling her Danny? Nobody calls her that. Like, They've, they've, as far as we know, they've interacted for all of 20 minutes and now all of a sudden he's making up nicknames for her. Like what the fuck is happening in this show? I'm just going to start making up nicknames for people that don't like need them. <laughs> I'm just going to start calling you like Grego. All right, Grego. <laughs> and it's also right before he's like, yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to, you're, you're the queen. I'm, I'm, I'm swearing loyalty. It's like, but also I want to have a cute pet name for you because the script says we're supposed to be in love now. So I guess we have to. <laughs> You know, and then and then other places I don't like what's going on either. So like I'm not really liking where Tyrion's character is at. I mean, from a from a writing perspective, like I think he's giving good performances. I think he's one of the best actors on the show, to be honest. And every scene he does, even if it's dumb, it, he he works it and works it well. But all we're seeing is him being like proved wrong again and again. And that's not really Tyrion where Tyrion should be for me at this point. You know, he messed up with the 
kind of strategic stuff at the beginning of the season, and he's trying to talk Danny out of rescuing John, which, like, we really think, I mean, he's making sense, it's logical, but we know that she needs to go rescue these people. Like, I just, it's just weird to see, kind of see him shunted to the side a little bit. I'm not really enjoying that. Yeah. And then we also have whatever the hell is going on with Arya and Sansa. I, so I was trying to really pay close attention today because I was like, this storyline just, it seems, it's beyond, like, dumb writing for the sake of, you know, action set pieces, which is sort of what I'm putting the beyond the wall stuff under. But, so, the thing that made this, these couple scenes with them, this episode weird is, you know, we're trying to, we're kind of getting this, this rivalry, this, to the point of, you know, we get the scene where Arya is threatening Sansa, essentially. Yeah. And... But it was, it was weird, though. So earlier on in the episode, Littlefinger brings up Brienne and her protection and was saying that, you know, Brienne would intercede if one were to try and attack the other, which he didn't specify which direction. So either he's implying that. So then. And so that's that's one thing. So he's either implying that Santa is going to try and have Arya killed, which seems like a, a bit of a stretch here, a jump, a leap, or that Arya is dangerous, which seems the more likely scenario. Then immediately Sansa sends Brienne away. The next scene right so to me there's a couple things so either sansa really th- is really thinking Arya is danger dangerous and is going to have is going to ask little finger to try and kill her which is why she would send brienne away or she's in on some plan or something and doesn't want brienne getting in the way but if it's some elaborate plan to like double twist catch you know little finger or something why not just have brienne kill him like here's, <laughs> that's what she wants to do. here's what i think is happening I think Sansa is trying to out Littlefinger Littlefinger. I think that she is sending Brienne away as a... I don't think there was a letter from Cersei. I think that Sansa made that up. So she is sending Brienne away as to um, basically throw Littlefinger off her trail of whatever her plan is that's going to end up with him getting fucking murked (laughs) next episode. Uh... It was nice knowing you, Peter Baelish, but I don't see you. I don't see you getting into season seven uh, or season eight, whatever the next season is. I don't know anymore. Um, I don't. I don't see that happening. Um, I think she. I think she is playing a con on him. I. I think she's the only one in on it. I think she knows that. I think she can detect that Arya is being manipulated by him, um, and has has a game in mind here where she's going to basically force Littlefinger to expose himself uh gross but he's she's she's basically going to you know out Littlefinger and that's going to be her big character moment is that she has now because that's always been like you know the skill tree that she's been developing is the intrigue skill tree and this is you know she's going to demonstrate that here I think by showing that she is she's been manipulating Littlefinger uh, this whole time and is going to find a way to, you know, basically off him, but still keep his, uh, army and bannerman. So that makes sense. I mean, if that's the payoff, I, I like that. I didn't, I didn't see that line of thinking when I was trying to run through the scenarios today, that's actually one that I would give me a little more payoff in this because right now it just seems like, cause a lot of people online are just like, Oh, they're just giving them meaningless things to do. Cause they don't have anything else for them to do right now. And it's like, maybe, but I just, I don't know if they, they would just not show them then there's plenty of people that aren't being shown right now. So, um, but so, all right, that's, I can get behind that. Hopefully that's what happens. That, that would be a pretty good conclusion to the season. I think is having, you know, that kind of something along those lines go down, which I was listening to our re-listening to our predictions and boy, were we off in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> 
But zombie dragon we were both on before. So um, which do you think it's gonna shoot fire or ice? It better not shoot ice. I mean I blue I fire. Agree with I'm fine too, with blue but fire, but it just blue fire. It does that's my vote. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I can understand that they've got magic that's gonna make this thing rise from the dead, but not that's gonna like completely rework its weird magical biology. <laughs> um also here's just a quick where did they get the chains? Oh, dude, that bothered me more than anything else. I'm like, do you know how much metal that is? You are beyond the wall. There is nothing. I mean, you've seen wildling weapons and their armies and stuff. Like, those are huge motherfucking chains. Like, where'd you find those at? Yeah. And did you just send some zombies down to the bottom of the lake to hook this thing up? Like, yeah. and again, this was a, this was, this was an area that they wrote themselves into that they didn't like, they didn't have to do this. Like, something they could have done was just have a Sarian crash on the ground so you don't have to pull i know it was a dramatic scene to show him kind of sliding dying into the frozen water would have been even more dramatic if we'd like spent some more time with that quote-unquote character <laughs> um, yeah right uh as opposed to just daenerys telling us how much we're supposed to care about it over and over and over again for the last six years um <laughs> but or you know just have you know just have the Night King standing on the shore of the lake and just raise his arms like we've seen him do before and then you just see the ice start to crack and this thing just comes flying up out of the water, you know, like yeah. that would be equally dramatic. Um, or you could just send the camera to the bottom of the lake and show the eye opening up and, you know, we'll figure it out. It gets out of the water, but it's just now you've created all of these weird questions. I have to ask myself about like, how do the zombies attach the chains? Did they get it right every time? Like, <laughs> like did, what if they like attach you to an ear and the ear ripped off? Like that would like, and what's pulling the chains? It's just, there were so many other ways to do it instead uh, of doing this, like, and also, like, as soon as you saw the chains in the lake, you knew where the scene was going, you know? Yeah. So it kind of cheapened the surprise a little bit, I think. I It's just, again, they just, it seems like they're not asking themselves the simple questions that a good fantasy writer should be asking themselves. Is this internally consistent? Does this make sense with the logic of the world that I have established? Because the answer so many times is no, and they just shrug and say, fuck it, rather than go back and rework the script a little bit so that it has some more internal consistency. I mean, we've gone through a bunch of examples of quick fixes you could have made to this that would have... You know, you don't have to rewrite the entire season. Just, you know, make this part a little bit more consistent with what we've already established. Ugh. Right. And it's the consistency. Like I was reading some stuff about today and someone said somewhere, I think on Reddit, somebody was like, if they if they were worried about this stuff from the beginning, they could have just said, oh, like our scale isn't the same that Martin's is. Westeros is the size of Britain, not South America. Yes. Easy. But that's not what it was. You know, we we were told in the first episode when the, you know, when the King's crew shows up at Winterfell, it took them a month to get from, you know, King's Landing to Winterfell. And sure, that's not pure travel. I'm sure there's lots of time spent doing, you know, very interesting, uh, you know, stops along the way, you know, rallies and things like that. But uh, from their fearless leader. But uh, yeah, I just so I've been hearing a lot of, oh, you know. What do you expect? It's the best they can do with the resources and the time. And, you know, I do think it's a combination of I think they're strapped for money. I think they're strapped for time. And I think they're like they they just aren't as talented at building this world without some Martin's actual work there and also maybe some of his steering hand. But like you said, 
this isn't hard stuff. Like we're not we're not professional fantasy writers, and I mean, sure, hindsight's twenty twenty, but like you should be able to anticipate what your episode's going to look their, like. They can yeah. read their own script and be like, "Hey, this part doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe we should change it before we shoot." Like that, yeah. Right. This it. I, I don't think it's excusable. I don't think people saying like, "Oh, well, they've got to do it in, in so many seasons." It's like, well, be do a better job at it. Like, go on to any you know. Game of Thrones, you know, subreddit uh, the day after the episode, and you'll see a thousand ideas of how they could have worked their way out of these silly little problems that, you know, make them bend the rules and, you know, fuck up their consistency. Um, there's ways that they could have done it. There are plenty of good ideas. And again, if all of us dumbos typing it when we're supposed to be doing our real jobs, if we could figure it out, then these guys who make millions of dollars to figure this stuff out, you damn well know that they could have done it if they tried a little harder. But instead, they wanted to go for spectacle and they wanted to go for, you know, things they knew, which is more mainstream, typical uh, mediocre TV writing of the big action set piece where nobody important gets hurt and there's always a red shirt ready to, you know, get get swallowed by the zombies and, oh, is Tormund going to die? Is Tormund going to die? Of course, Tormund's not going to die. Like, it's just it's just become a TV show. It, it used to be a great, great TV show and now it is a just a regular old TV show. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think we're at the point where we're not going to see very many main characters die from here. You know, even the, we haven't really seen many this season, to be honest. You know, we, I think we're at that point where we're not going to see many characters die up until the very end because yeah. partially because I think we're getting down to some brass tacks, like getting down to the end where characters aren't ready to die, their stories aren't over. But I also just think that there's been, you know, some flubs along the way where they could have had characters die that, you know, like you said, Bran at the, ba- at the other battle. I mean, the only reason I can see them keeping Tormund around right now is because he's the only named wildling character we have. And without yeah. that, we lose all connection to them, which, okay, fine. But like, I don't know, just there's things you couldn't like, why is Barrick still alive? Like I thought for sure we were losing him. Why is Jorah? Like, I thought we were going to lose three quarters of that party when I went out there. So I bet you, I bet you that Jorah or Barrick dies next episode because I think they're staying back at the wall. And you know, now that the Night King has a dragon, he's headed right for the wall. And I think Barrick... I think Beric needs an ending, um, but I, I, I think Beric or Jorah dies, dies this week. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Um, I And, like, the other question, I don't want to linger on this, but, like, where the fuck is Bran in all this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, that's one thing. That's, that's an easy way to explain Benjen showing up. Like, oh, he's directed by Bran because he was directed by the Third Eye Raven, Three Eye Raven before. Like, then show a scene of Bran, like... Yeah wigging out and seeing it through raven's eye and like talking in benjen's head or something like that like show that happening just don't have him just show up out of the blue and then sacrifice himself for like his dumbass nephew right for no good reason for a scene that we had to for again a completely worthless scene of we have to pretend that john fell under the ice so that we can pretend that he's not going to make it and also he didn't there's no way that was such a stupid scene of he should have just they should have just dragged him onto the dragon at the end you know the hound should have clocked him over the head with a fist knocked him out and throw him on the back of the dragon and been like today's not your day to be a hero dummy and flown away but instead now i have to struggle to disbelieve that john snow underwater fought off two zombies uh that were dragging him down right uh, under freezing water I mean, freezing you, you, water people talk about how like if you fall in water like that you're dead 
like i mean like you just your body you can't breathe like have you ever jumped in water that's like really really cold? not even that cold but like really really yes. cold you literally can't breathe and then you die and he's covered in <laughs> and he's covered in heavy armor and leather and a cape and he somehow swims his way back to the surface crawls out and then survives the what we established is probably a 40 mile ride which is at least an hour on horseback covered in freezing water and uh and frozen clothes after standing outside for as as short as one day as long as four days dude is toast and you didn't have to do that <laughs> you didn't have to do that you just had to have him get on the dragon yeah or if he's gonna sacrifice let's go just get swarmed by zombies and then they have to take off they have to leave him fine and then he can it's a little more believable that he somehow fights his way out of him than falls yeah. underwater or whatever right or just have benjamin show up then yeah oh god it's just so bad right. so I'd, I'd a follow-up question to all this all this i mean clearly Things have gone downhill <laughs> the past few seasons. So what do you think Martin's sitting and thinking? Is he surfing around the net and looking at criticisms? I mean, he said today that he doesn't even have time to watch the show, which is kind of a strange thing to say. I mean, it's an hour, dude. He's like, got time to do a bunch of other bullshit. Right. So, you know, is is he is he is he nervous that some of this stuff is some of his things that he messes up that they're enacting and now he has a chance to fix it? I or think... is he smiling since he knows he won't fall for the same mistakes or I think he's smiling because one of the things that he's explained, like one of the reasons it takes, it's taken him so long to get places, get, get the books finished is because he really respects the internal consistency and the characters need to travel at realistic rates and they need to make decisions that make sense for them. So it takes a lot of work to figure out how you're going to get these pieces back in place. You can't just, you know, decide that Ari is back at Winterfell now. Um, and that's why it's taken him a long time to write it because he has, you know, it, it just takes a lot of work. So I think he's looking at, he's probably looking at this and he's hearing the backlash to the abandonment of, you know, that rigid internal consistency. And he's like, cool, good. I'm still doing the right thing because people care about the internal consistency, which I think, and again, anyone who's reading a escapist work cares about the internal consistency because you want to escape to a realistic world, a, con a world that is internally consistent. Otherwise, it's not as easy to escape to. The world doesn't feel as real. So, Yeah, and I think he's happy too because, I mean, I, I know I'm sure that he's sad that his story is being shown, you know, despite what he says about not caring, asking me different. But I think that he's going to be happy that I think people are going to be looking more towards the book, like, all right, how this really go down, right? Like, what does this really look like in the, you know, what's the true story, I guess you'd say, which people will be thinking anyway, but with all this criticism and backlash and misplays by them, by the, you know, by the TV show, I know I'm more excited to be like, all right, what, how this actually all break down towards the end of the series, but we're never going to see it, so we're not going to know, but <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's 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 just it's just unfortunate, you know. I just feel a little bummed about it because the show, and it's still doing something good, still being a you know, still bringing fantasy and that you know this whole genre to television that hasn't really been around for a while it's, in a way that's massively popular. So I guess we'll always have to thank you know, have it to thank for that. But it's still a good. I just show. wish that it could have gone out. Yeah, it's still it's still a, it's still a good show. It's, it's not a great show. Exactly. All right. Well, anything to recommend before we rack up? Wrap, rack up, wrap up, rack them. Um, no. <laughs> How about you? No, I don't. It's this. It's those summer doldrums, and I'm just you know got a couple episodes. I got one more episode of Game of Thrones. Got a couple more episodes of uh, Twin Peaks and Preacher. 
Um, and that's really all I've all I've had time for. But again, I keep saying to people, if you're not watching Preacher yet, it is just getting better and better with every episode. Um, the actor Pip Torrens, who's playing um, Hair Star, is just a he's priceless. Um, so. Greg, should I watch? So I have. You know, now I, I actually look at my calendar. I'm like, oh, I've got some, you know, after watching all the Defenders speaking, I was like, I miss watching TV. I should do that some more. Uh, so should I, I was going to, I was ready to keep an episode of TV today before we started dueling each other in Eternal. <laughs> um, but, and I was trying to decide between picking up, watching American Gods or watching Preacher. What should I do? What, what can you recommend to me specifically right now? Oh boy. Um, I would say if American Gods, because you tried to read the book and bounced off of it, right? Yes, which says a lot. So I would go to Preacher first. Okay. And I would say that the season two is better than season one. Season one is good, but um, uh, season two is even better. So I would, I would, I would say start watching Preacher. Okay. Cool. I will do that. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Um, I hope you have a good week, buddy. Yeah, you too. I'll see you next week. All right.